Live from our studio in Babson Park, Massachusetts, it's the Fred Obi Show, where we unpack history to positively impact the future. I am Fred Obi, your host. Thanks for joining us live or listening to the podcast. This is part one of a three-part series based on the course Food in the African-American Canon and a related book project. The course and book discuss places where food has been made, sold, and eaten in African-American literature. The books selected in the course and in the larger book project provide historical context to talk about food traditions, the food industry, and food as identity and power within various contexts and regional differences over time. In part one, I talked to a chef hired to cater a prepared menu for our first class meeting based on historic recipes related in the assigned reading for the course. I decided to share this content as a way of giving listeners an insight into the courses I teach and how I teach them. This is a course I taught online about five or six different times. I will be offering courses soon on my website at fredopi.com, and this is a way of giving people a sense of what it's like to have me as a professor in an online course with recorded content. I hope you will enjoy and come back and listen to part two and three. So tell me, um, what caught your eye the most when you first saw this? You, you mentioned to me before we started rolling that you've done some of this before. You've just never really seen the dates of things. So, so how does that hit you as a chef? Um, I think the hardest thing was trying to interpret, uh, you know, and I run into this with even just trying to interpret my grandparents' recipes. Uh, they don't measure anything. So there's no measurements. There's no uh, set temperatures on ovens, uh, which is generally tough to figure out. It's kind of a, a guessing game of sorts, but that's kind of the fun of cooking, too. So it was nice to take some of the older recipes and see what we can do to transform them and make them a little more modern. For example, you mentioned to me um, one of the recipes said put your oven on moderate heat. Yes. So what so, the heck does that mean? I mean, I didn't actually know, so I just assumed 350 because that's a, that's a universal kitchen heat. Uh-huh. Almost anything that you have to bake or cook is at a 350-degree oven, okay. uh, depending on if it's you know, desserts or not. And also, how do you go about taking an individual recipe, 1917 or one of the recipes, how do you go about taking an individual recipe that I would make at my house, which I've done a lot of these, and then blow it up to make it big enough so the 17 students or so will be here will have enough food? There's generally a formula. Um, one, of the, one of the benefits of doing this for a while is there's generally a formula on portion sizing for proteins versus starches. Uh, of what you do. Um, in this sense, because of the different amounts of food that we had, we went a little bit smaller on the portion size so you could try a little bit of everything and not be too overly um, stuffed, if you will. Um, but it's generally an ounce portioning that you just do a little bit of math on. So it's one of those things that the first year in culinary school or first year of staging for somebody that you learn. And, yeah. it's, and at this point, it's, it's second nature. Absolutely. So when I look at it and I freak out, I go, how are they going to make this? Yeah, it's You're pretty going, standard. No problem. It's pretty standard across the board. You know, generally a, a four-ounce protein, a three-ounce starch, three-ounce veg. Do you remember any particular thing when you looked at the recipe, for example, an expression that you literally had to stop and look up, what does this mean? Because I know I find that that feeling sometimes when I'm looking at things. Um, I definitely had to look into what the sweet potato pone was. Uh, I didn't didn't have any clue what that was. And then... Wait a minute. Pone. 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 Like like four. Pone. (laughs) (laughs) So I had no idea what that one was. And then to try and facilitate how to get it, 
for you guys to have an easy portioning and an easy way to have it. So we decided to grease muffin tins. Okay. And that way you have your individual portion. It's already weighed out. It's already measured out. And it's easy to grab and go. Mm -hmm. And you know that you have enough for everybody. So one of the things that some of the students came in and they're going to they're, they're gonna know about this, no secret. I have on the recipe list, the menu, fried chicken and fried rabbit. Yes, you do. And we put them right next to each other mm -hmm. to see if this would be like the Pepsi Coke challenge. Right, right, right. To see if they'll tell the difference. And my quick story about fried rabbit the first time is when I went to my cousin's house. She, she was like the best cook in our, in our family. Mm. But she was known for... If roadkill was recently killed in front of her, she was known for snatching that bad boy, putting it in the trunk and bringing it home and cooking it. She would do that with raccoons and everything. Yeah. So I, I came up maybe 10 years old. We were going to Thanksgiving at her house. And I came in the door and I, and I saw on top of the stove what I thought was fried chicken. So I took a piece and started munching. Oh, that's some great fried chicken. She said, boy, there ain't no fried chicken. That's fried rabbit. And I was like, poor Bambi. You know? <laughs> so did that... Have you done that before, fried rabbit before? Um, I haven't done fried rabbit, but I've worked with rabbit before. Rabbit riettes um, are really good. It's almost like a duck confit with rabbit. Uh -huh. And then you take it and you whip it with uh, with butter, I believe. And then it's like a, a pate of sorts for an opening course. Now, i got to ask you this, because one of our books is set in Florida. The Eyes of Washington Guy by mm. Zorno Hurston. Have you ever done gator? I've not. It's on my list of things I want. So on your budget gator list, and, gator and snake are both on my list. It's gator and snake. I, want to do. I have worked with um, shark or a form of shark, and uh -huh. that was that was on my list of things. Uh, but so this right now probably the most exotic so far. The rabbit, or you've done other things more exotic? Um, jeez, oh I'm sure I have. I mean, octopus and and things like that are a little more exotic, like sea urchin and stuff. Like sea creatures, I think have. Uh, you know, especially the ones that stay lower down, like mm -hmm. the monkfish and everything, they are the ugliest fish that you will ever see, and mm -hmm. that's why they live below. They don't have to be pretty, they don't have to hide, you know, anything. Um, so I think more seafood-based are the more exotic things that I've worked with, but mm -hmm. I definitely, you know, I'm always up for a challenge. Yeah. The food is in the back, it's there for you, uh, you can help yourself. I warn you. Get something to eat before I start talking about food because you would be tortured <laughs> if you don't start eating and it's all there for you. Let's take a walk back, Absolutely. Chef, and, and, and maybe students will come show you what we have here so you get a chance to see. Uh, now, the dessert is out. You know, and some people, life begins with dessert. So you can eat it in whatever order you want. We have red velvet cake. And again, if you do have Instagram, I hope that you'll take pictures and share it. Make some of the other students that didn't sign up jealous for the class. <laughs> so we have red velvet cake, which uh, in the African-American culture, but I think Southern culture in general. It's a big Southern thing. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah, and I'm not really sure where it comes from, to be I, honest with you. Honestly, I think, I think red velvet cake being Southern is a thing that was created after TVs and after uh, Food Networks and such. I think it's, it's definitely pre-food pre uh, network. Right. But I mean, I think but when, it when food took started off. becoming, okay. I think it's one of those things that became, yes, that is Southern. Okay. You know? Key lime pie is one of the pies I think that the staff does extremely well. Mm -hmm. So I really didn't need to give you guys a recipe you know, for that one. So I think that's going to be great. Then we have, tell us about the, uh, the beverage. So I, I didn't understand that. I think that was another one of the ones. It was a punch. It was enough, a punch lemon, lemon punch, punch recipe. Recipe was probably one of my hardest ones to interpret. So I interpreted it with making half and half because that is a very southern drink, as far as I'm concerned. Mm -hmm. um, I have a bunch of friends from the North Carolina, Virginia area, and that is their recipe for it that I've made my own. Oh wow! Uh, and made sure to, 
get Christina, even actually before you guys came, I actually sent a, a WhatsApp because they're in Spain right now. Okay. I asked a WhatsApp on if I got the color right. Okay. I literally did that before you guys came. Because um, it, it's very particular. You have to use unsweetened tea. You have to brew part of it with the water. You have to make sure that you put a little bit of sugar in with the lemon. You got to squeeze the lemons right. It's all, it's, it's a very scientific uh, thing. So I hope you guys like that a lot. Then this uh, may be something new for a lot of you. I've, I've had it before. This is a watermelon rind preserve. So it's like a jam, but it's made from the white part or the, yeah, the white part. So, you know, you got the red part of the watermelon, you got the white, and then you got the green. This is the white part. And um, it's really good with biscuits, which we have here. Again, this is a biscuit recipe, 1881, the watermelon rind preserve, 1911 is that recipe. And the only thing we did with the biscuits is we omitted the lard so they would be vegetarian. Uh, there wasn't much vegetarian friendly, so uh, we tried to do what we could in little places, so we replaced it with shortening. This is a, uh, a slaw, like coleslaw recipe, 1956, state of Florida. Uh, this is sweet potato pone. Pone is like a pudding, and it's, it's, I like it. Come on in. I liken it to a bread pudding. So they did it in individual sizes so you can all take it. Uh, a lot of times people make it a big old tray, but this is uh, sweet potato pone. This one uh, is a shrimp pie recipe, and the date, we don't have the date on it because I don't know if I gave I them the date. that one was the 1940... 45, maybe? 45, I think. 45 one? And I can't remember if this one came from South Carolina or wherever. I can't remember. This is fried chicken and fried rabbit. We won't tell you which is which. Again, the fried rabbit, fried chicken recipe, the exact same recipes, just different type of meat. But this is from 1881, the recipe. Uh, the kale, uh, which which is so interesting because kale's become a new trend. Yeah. And, uh, but kale's okay. been eaten forever. I have to tell you. Go ahead. I'm shocked by the amount of kale you kids eat here. Like when we put it on the menu, I was like, oh, these kids are going to eat this kale. Like, I, we can prep them, but last time I'm going to eat it. We always need more kale. You guys eat so much kale here. I don't even know <laughs> that you're college students. That's what I'm saying. <laughs> I'm serious. Like the amount of veggies that is consumed on this campus is astronomical. I love it. Yeah. But I just wasn't expecting it. And then so college kale. Um, I think college is going to be the next thing. You know, they had the trend with with kale, but I think college is going to be the next thing. People in the South, they do kale, collards, or turnips. It really doesn't matter. Greens are greens. Uh, in Africa, they do a lot of dishes with the tops of cassava. So they'll do the, the cassava top, and they'll make it in all kinds of dishes like this. So you'll have these cassava leaf stews that you'll see all over Africa. And I suspect that's some of the roots of uh, why Southerners and African Americans. So we also have uh, the Baltimore crab cakes in the back. And then a lot of the recipes mention um, eating your food with cornbread, which is very Southern. So they made individual cornbread right there for you. Especially the kale and the collard green recipes. There's some liquid right. at the bottom of that, the braising liquid that you're supposed to sop up with the cornbread. So when we saw that, we figured we had the cornbread in as an extra little thing. Oh, yeah. I mean, it, it would be kind of uh, sacrilegious not to, to let the liquid from your cornbread just go to waste. That is known in, in most of the South as pot liquor. So that's what they call it. That's and something it's, I looked at. I was like, oh, yeah. <laughs> I'm going to look into this one so I know what's going on. Right. I was like, all right, I have to make cornbread It's full of all kinds of vitamins. So you would never want to throw away your pot liquor, and that's why you have bread served with it, so you can, the term sop, sop it up. And you're, there's a character in the book by uh, Zorno Hurston, and the character's nickname is Sop. They call him Sop the Bottom. So you can imagine where the nickname came from, probably the dinner table. 
And then this is Milano rice. This is the very first dish or food described in uh, Zorno Hurston's uh, Their Eyes Were Watching God. This is a 1933 recipe, mulatto rice. But like the, the very first scene when you see uh, food described, it's the main character coming out, one of her neighbors bringing her uh, a plate of mulatto rice. So again, a lot of this stuff is very interesting for me to actually see. Questions for the chef before we move on. Was there any ingredients that was kind of harder to find? The recipes from the kind of uh, an older era? You know, surprisingly enough, it's actually not hard to find many different meats. Um, I actually had two different purveyors I was looking at going to for the rabbit. I have never seen so many rabbits just, you know, just hopping around doing their thing. I'm going, thank God you're not in Mississippi because you, you have a problem <laughs> on your hands. Goat is taken off too. It's like a trending thing. Goat has a very particular skill set. If you cook it wrong, you you cooked it way too wrong. Like it, it can ruin it can ruin your experience for coat like forever. If you don't have it right, one of my first experiences was mutton, and it was uh, one of the cooks I worked with. He him and his family had made some at home, and they brought it in. I was like, oh, that's great. The next time I had goat, it was horrible. Because if you don't cook it right, it's like a lot of the the finicky ones. A lot of the more out there proteins have a very specific way they have to be handled. And if they're not handled that way, it can ruin them for you for a while. And stuff. And the food, it was so, like, I was, oh, my God, I like goat. I didn't yeah. expect to like goat. And the next time I had it, I was like, all right, I don't like all goat. <laughs> I like that goat. <laughs> That's a wrap for this show. Thanks for listening. To hear more content like it, go to fredopi.com. If you have questions about advertising and sponsoring this show, contact us at fdopie at gmail.com. That's fdopie at gmail.com. You can find all my information on my uh, website, fredopi.com. There's a food blog. For those who don't know, I work as a food historian. And there's a ton of really interesting content and recipes on there. You can see the link to my book page. You can see all six books that I've published in my most recent one. Start with your gift. The real deal about life and getting ready for life, it's there. If you are planning an event and you're looking for a guest speaker, let me know if you're interested in having me come to speak.